Okay, let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. And I've titled my uh, message this morning of uh, the secrets of a productive Christian. Reading through this section of Scripture, you will find that it teaches the most important relationships a Christian must maintain to have a productive Christian life, to have effective ministry. The first important relationship is with Christ, of course. Verse one, 11, chapter 15, verse 1 through 11, and the key word there is abide. It emphasizes union. The second important relationship is with other believers, verses 12 through 17, and the key term there is love, and of course, it emphasizes communion, and then the third relationship is the believer's relationship to the world, and verse number 18 to 27, and the key term there is hate or disunion. So we have union in Christ, communion with believers, and disunion with the world. So because the first relationship is the most vital, that is with Christ, that is where we'll focus our attention this Lord's Day on the subject of abiding in Christ. So let's look at our text, and let me read at least verses 1 through 11, chapter 15 of John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bear fruit, bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless it abides in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this section of Scripture, for we know in it we are we, your disciples, can hear what Jesus told his disciples, that they are a group of people that he has called to himself, 
and that he loves and that he wants them to grow in Christ Jesus. He wants them to bear fruit. And Lord, I pray that all of us here today would desire the same thing and that we would know the condition for bearing fruit is to abide to abide in Christ. That is our job. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that and we would never walk away from you, but we would continue to pursue those things that please you and that we would learn every day how to love you because you've loved us first. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, in verse number 3, we notice the passage of Scripture is really talking about believers. It says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. See, the verses revolve around a visual picture of the vine, of the branches of the vine, and of the vine dresser. The vine, in verse number 1, is identified as Jesus Christ, where Jesus identifies himself as the genuine vine. He says, I am the true vine. The imagery of the vine in the vineyard is very, a very familiar picture in the Old Testament. That's why we read the passage of Scripture in Psalm 80. We see it again in Isaiah chapter 5, in Jeremiah 2, in Ezekiel 15. It's all over the Old Testament. But the point in that passage of Scripture that we read is that the psalmist bemoans the fact that the vine flourishes no more. Now, we know the vine is a picture of the people of Israel. Israel is the vine which God brought out of Egypt. And so this is what the psalmist says in that passage. O God of hosts, turn again now. We beseech you, look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine, meaning Israel, even the shoots which your right hand has planted and on the sun whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. So he bemoans the fact that Israel is not bearing fruit. Israel has come to the point in their relationship with God because they were led into idolatry and followed that route is that they were not the light that God wanted them to be. They were not abiding in God, and so therefore the Lord allowed them to go along with their own sin, and then, of course, because they did not produce fruit, they were cut down. The next person in our passage of Scripture is the vine dresser. Verse number 1, it says, My father is the vine dresser. See, God the Father is pictured as a faithful gardener busily working his vineyard. And, of course, there's the next thing in verse number 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches are Christians. That depicts us. So the main subject in this whole section of Scripture is abiding. 
meaning to have a vital union with Christ. And the result of abiding in Christ is fruit-bearing. There are actually three degrees of fruit-bearing in our passage. In verse number 1, we see that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So the first degree is fruit, any fruit, any amount of fruit. A second in verse, the end of verse number uh, one is that he prunes it that you may bear more fruit. And then, of course, in verse number five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So we have fruit, more fruit, much fruit. If there is no fruit, whatever, the branch is taken away. The Father, the Heavenly Father, desires Christ's disciples at all points in history from this point on to bear much fruit. The vine dresser, which is the Father, is not content with mediocre disciples of Christ. Not at all whatsoever. So there is an element of secrecy in chapter 15 of this gospel because Jesus is not addressing the multitude. He is talking intimately to his disciples. He's pulling them aside privately. And Jesus tells his disciples the secrets of productive Christians. And so what is the first secret of a productive Christian? The first secret is this. It's pruning of the Father who is the vine dresser, that the Father will prune those who are not bearing as much fruit as they ought to bear. So he says in verse number one, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser, every branch In me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bear fruits, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So there are two actions of the vine dresser. The first one is the vine dresser does something with the branch that isn't bearing fruit, any fruit at all. He takes it away in verse number two. A second action of the vine dresser is the vine dresser does something with the branch that isn't bearing enough fruit. And he says in verse number two, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. And of course, the Greek term for prune uh, means to make clean or to cut away, to trim unwanted growth. So the father... As the vine dresser, he does this. He prunes and cleans away unwanted growth in our Christian life. So he does it so the branches that are connected to the true vine will produce much fruit, as much fruit as possible in their Christian walk. So verse 3 It may be implied that the word is the means 
by which the Father performs the work of pruning his disciples' lives. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the true disciple of Jesus not only receives the word of God, but he keeps the word of God. If you just go back to chapter 14 of John, look at verse number 23. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So those are the two actions of the vine dresser. There are also two kinds of branches mentioned in our passage, one that produces fruit and one that lacks the production of fruit. For it says in verse number 2, He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, here we see in this passage of Scripture that we run into a difficulty, actually. And the difficulty is that there's uh, three views worthy of mention in our passage of Scripture. Especially the views concerning the fruitless branches. The first view would be, These branches represent true Christians who finally perish. Of course, uh, that doesn't hold true through the rest of Scripture because we know that believers are kept secure by Christ and the Father. Second view regarding those who um, are fruitless branches is the fruitless branches are true Christians who are taken up to heaven by physical death as a discipline. The burning represents the burning of their unfruitful works at the judgment seat of Christ. However, the figure clearly depicts a removal from the vine, whereas physical death does not serve a true believer's connection with Christ. Furthermore, it is the branches themselves, that is the person's, that are burned and not just their works. The third view would be that the fruitless branches represent the mere professors uh, that believe, those who just profess to believe, and who finally are severed from the superficial connection they have with Christ. Now, this actually happened earlier in the text where we know that Judas was part of the disciples, but he seemed to be a disciple of Jesus, but he was removed. And, of course, he was not. It proved to be that he was not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So this is sure in our passage. We are nothing if we get away from Christ. We would just then be branches that wither and fit only to be cast on the fire. Unproductive. See, we are not to come and go in regards to Christ, but are to abide. The vine needs the branch as truly as the branch needs the vine. No vine ever bore any fruit except upon its branches. 
It is by the branch that the vine displays its fruitfulness. Therefore, abiding believers are needful as to the fulfillment of the Lord's design. And so in this passage of Scripture, I I think that there may be a combination of really two of the interpretations, even though overall it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about abiding. So if we are Christians today, and we just think about what the Father actually does, that he comes into our life and he prunes us, he cuts away the stuff that, in, that is in our life, that has, has been a remnant in our life, that came into our Christian walk as one who was an unbeliever and they dragged their unbelieving habits into the Christian walk. So if you're a Christian today, then the sharp knife of the father, the father purging will apply to you. Sometime in your life it will apply to you. If you are now feeling, maybe during this coronavirus crisis, you're feeling the purging process of the Father, you must not think it's a strange thing that's happening to you. He will cut everything away in our lives that is preventing you and I from bearing more fruit. That's what he does. So you may be noticed, since you have become a Christian, that you have more troubles than ever. You may observe that the people that were once for you are now against you. That temptation, the temptation of the devil, his temptations are more frequent and more intense than you ever noticed before. You even say to yourself, some of my personal and business affairs have gone completely wrong. Life that once seemed to be in control has suddenly spiraled out of control. And then one would ask the question, is this supposed to be happening to a Christian, to someone who knows the Lord? Well, see, there's where the secret comes in. I know the Father's going to purge me. I know the Father is not going to let me get away with things in my life that are not pleasing to him. Whether, and that, those things many times are secret things that are going on in our heart and mind. He's not going to let us go forward and name the name of Jesus if we are not taking care of those things. So take care that you abide in Christ when the pruner's blade is cutting close to you. Cling to Jesus all the more when that's happening. When things in life seem confusing, when you can't put all the pieces back into the puzzle, endure the trial and never even dream of giving up your faith in Christ. An old saint has provided us wisdom during times of purging. His name is Job. This is what Job said in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, or I will trust him. See, that's the attitude that a disciple has when the pruning knife of the Father, who's not doing it for our destruction or to hurt us, 
but for our good, to make us someone who bears more fruit in our Christian walk. So the Christian has this inside knowledge that he is a branch connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, and it is the will of God that his disciples bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Just as in horticulture, pruning is painful, so is in the Christian experience. Everybody knows that if you do any kind of planting, if you don't cut back the old branches, if you don't cut off the flowers that just died the stem, like in the case of roses, you won't produce more roses. So you have to cut it back so it produces more roses. As his word works to transform our minds for Christian living and effective service, we understand only when the hard pruning comes from the Father can we produce greater fragrance and beauty in our Christian walk. And that's what God is looking for. So if you want to be a productive Christian, you must be pruned. That is the first secret. The second secret in our text in John 15, verse 4 and 5, is this. The second secret of a productive Christian is remaining in the Son. It says, abide in me, verse 4. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he, he, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here is the secret. The secret is you cannot bear fruit on your own. It is humanly impossible There is not a human possibility for it to happen. It is Christ's work in us. See, the issue is abiding and remaining, which has to do with our continued fellowship with the Lord and the fruit-bearing as a result of our abiding. So our active responsibility in verse number 4, being an imperative, in other words, being a command, is abide in me. Abide in me. And when we are abiding, fruit comes naturally. Continuing with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, depending upon Christ in prayer, submitting to Christ in all things. In other words, separated from Christ, there's no fruit. But connected to Christ, there's fruit because Jesus is the life-giving vine that produces that sap, that life-giving sap into the branch, and we are the branches. Now, how does one abide in Christ? Now, let's just look at 1 John for a minute, just a few passages of scriptures. Just go to 1 John, because John wrote also 1 John, and there's a few things about, he says about abiding in Christ. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 15, he says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So that's one. And then look at 1 John chapter 3, back of chapter, verse 23 and 24. It says this, 
this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that we abide in that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And then chapter 2, verse number 24 of 1 John. He says, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, all those verses... These passages show that confessing Jesus as the Son of God or believing him establishes the relationship of abiding in Christ. You cannot abide in Christ unless you have believed in Christ, unless you have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. And as you do that, not only do you profess that, but... First John says, then you continue to walk in that truth, and you do that by faith, and then as you continue to walk in that truth, you continue to obey Christ's commands. That's all part of the Christian walk, is that, and that all includes abiding in Christ. I am, I believe in him, I follow him, I listen to him, I love him, and I want to serve him, and that's what makes a person a Christian is that they continue in the faith and they continue to abide in Christ. So the active responsibility is to abide in Christ. The passive response of fruit bearing, back to John chapter 15, is this. The command is not to produce fruit. The command is to abide. That means this. It's Jesus' job to produce the fruit. It is our job to abide. It says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, and I in him, he bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If we don't abide in Christ, disciples can't even produce even a bud or a real fruit without a vital relationship with Christ. Nothing of genuine or eternal value can be produced in our life. So, in other words, our job is to follow Christ, to believe Christ, to obey Christ, to love Christ, to grow in his word. In fact, packaged in between, John chapter 15 is packaged in between chapter 14 and chapter 16. And what's chapter 14 about? It's about the role of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 16 is about the promise of the Holy Spirit that's coming. So the Holy Spirit becomes a vital person for a Christian when it has to do with fruit. Now, you, you may ask the question, what fruit are we looking for in our own Christian walk? Well, the Holy Spirit is really cleaning us up. He is making us, he is making changes in our lives bringing into our, us into conformity to the will of God, and that conformity happens from the inside out. We are being changed from the inside out. Also, God wants, he wants to see the fruit. 
of what the Spirit is doing on the inside. So the goal of the Christian life is righteousness. We are being sanctified. We are being set apart to God so that we will do what is right and pleasing in his sight. So righteousness, holiness, fruit-bearing is most evident in our behavior. We learned this from 1 Peter, where 1 Peter tells us, chapter 1, verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, you be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior. So holiness is going to be seen in our behavior. So the Holy Spirit is making this change in us through the truth, through the Word of God, in our mind, and so that means that the Word and the Spirit go together and should not be separated. The Word of God transforms us, so we develop deep biblical convictions. Then our consciences will not allow us to live against those convictions, really, which comes from a transformed mind. So, We desire to do what is right as a product and also to live in a pleasing manner before the Lord Jesus Christ in our behavior. So behavior is at the center of concern and sanctification. Behavior shows what is is or what is not going on on the inside. It also means that no internal transformation It may mean that a professor, someone who just professes Christ and are not really believers, may be masquerading uh, masquerading around with righteous behavior but with no internal change. In other words, they have no connection to Christ. They're living in hypocrisy. And hypocrites totally externalize righteous behaviors. That's, That's why many times they have lists. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I'm a good Christian. Well, there's no lists in the Bible. We should never live by lists. We live by relationship with Christ. Are we abiding in him, and are we producing fruit? And what fruit are we, are, are we to produce, or does God produce in us? Uh, he produces, first of all, the fruit of connectedness to Christ, John chapter 15. Also, the fruit of the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, kindness, goodness, all those things the Spirit of God is producing in us from the inside out. Also, fruits of words and fruits of actions and fruits of righteousness and fruits of the fear of the Lord, fruits of service and good works, and also the fruits of souls. You desire for people to be saved. You want to be a testimony uh, to those who are Uh, not believers as of yet. So see, the Spirit of God becomes a vital person in our walk, in abiding in Christ, where he is producing fruit in us as we are abiding in Christ, as we are doing, we are staying connected to the vine, and he is giving us his life-giving sap that produces in us, uh, of course, fruit. Now, what are the consequences of not bearing fruit? John chapter 15, verse 6. 
there are some consequences, and there is one here, and this is, this is really the difficult part of this passage of Scripture. In John 15, verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and, dry, and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, one interpretation could be is that some say that the singular branch and the plural them, uh, meaning that uh, it's not the person, but it's their works. A disciple can, in other words, become a barren branch in which they become useless, uh, a useless branch, all leaves, no fruit. So when this happens... They say the vine dresser comes in and cleans with his disciplinary hand. It may be that the Father will sanctify the person through circumstances of life, or by some trial, the Father weans one off worldly thinking or some besetting sin in their life, and he draws that person then to Christ and then drives them to the word of God, drives them to the fellowship of believers, maybe at that particular point in their life they were neglecting, and then he drives them to prayer, while at the same time he shows them their own heart and he humbles them in that process. So the Father chastises us not to harm us, but to make us more fruitful, as I said already. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says to us, listen, for they discipline us for a short time, that's our parents, as it seems best, but he disciplines us, that's the Father, for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. And then he goes on to say, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There is that fruit that comes out of the pruning process of the Father. So those who would, would say that it is the singular branch and the works that would be burned up because of the plural them uh, would say that the works done in the power of the flesh by the believers, and that these works, not the believer, that are burned up. And so the apostle, really Paul, conveys the same kind of truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. And the fire mentioned here and in the Corinthians is in relation to the believer's works at the judgment seat of Christ. That is a time when the Christian's works are examined and, of course, those which do not pass the examination are burned up. So if that would be the interpretation, and there could be some sense of that in here, remember that the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for sin. Uh, sin will not be the issue at the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason why is that the sin question 
for the believer has already been settled and uh, for keeps. The moment you repented of your sin and turned to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, the judgment due you because of your sin was placed on Christ as he hung on the cross of crucifixion. And there on that cross, Jesus satisfied the justice of the Father and bore the penalty for all our sins and, of course, and your sins if you are a believer and your account is now marked paid in full by Christ's death. So your sins have been transferred to the cross and Christ's righteousness have been transferred to your account. It is the judgment, it is really judgments for service, for works. So the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ, at least, is not to determine whether people will enter heaven or hell. This issue was already decided when the person believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin, nor is the judgment for the purpose of meeting out punishment for sin. The purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to review our lives, our service, our abiding, our fruit, our thoughts, our words, our motives after we became Christians. So Christ, after his perfect evaluation, will either give or withhold rewards from one of his children. So what happens to a Christian who builds with the wrong building materials, according to 1 Corinthians? Do they lose their salvation? It says in Corinthians 3, verse 15, If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. So then the unfaithful Christian will be saved so as by fire. His life works. Anything that was wood, hay, straw will be destroyed, and there will be few or no rewards. So then the standard of this judgment is our faithfulness in practical holiness and faithful sacrificing service to Christ. However, in saying that, It is clear from other passages of, of Scripture and, and that there are false Christians as well as true ones. There are people who appear to be joined to the parent stem and yet bear no fruit. They possibly were born into a Christian family and live vicariously through their parents but were never saved or they are trusting in their church membership, or their baptism, or their human good works, or their religious experience, or in dreams, or in visions, but they have no vital union with Christ, no grace in their hearts, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit, no fruit to show that they are real disciples. They just merely profess the faith, and they are finally severed from their superficial connection to Christ.
Christians derive their life and fruit-producing strength from Jesus alone. A vine, a vine branch is lifeless and useless if it does not remain attached to the vine. So that, that means likewise, unless the living sap from Jesus, the true vine is flowing to us and flowing in us as his disciples. That is the only way they can produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There, there's just no other way for it to take place. If they don't abide in Christ. And, and what, what is also interesting is that from, ba- from past biblical history, if you, if you just look at Israel, how did they disconnect themselves from God? From, being the, from them being the vine, but then disconnected themselves from the source of life. They just simply refused to listen to God. Also, they listened to him and then rendered him lip service unsupported by any fruit in their lives. Or they just simply accepted God as Lord and then in the face of difficulties, difficulties being God's people or the desire uh, that they had just to do their own thing, they abandoned him and went after other lovers and that is called idolatry. So, see, the Christians must, must abide in Christ if they are going to produce or have fruit in their life. The Apostle Paul expressed the same type of spiritual truth in Galatians where he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this second secret is that you cannot bear fruit on your own. It is not a human possibility. It is Christ's work in us. And I believe this is the great distinction between those who just profess or get involved with religion, but they just have no nothing in their life to show it. There's no growth at all whatsoever. They have no fruit, no more fruit, and hardly any much fruit. So a point, the point that Jesus is, in speaking to his disciples, is he, what he wants from them is to desire that. He's bolstering in their heart desire to follow Christ no matter what comes, no matter how hard it is. Keep going. Don't ever give up. This life is short. Keep seeking, hearing his word, searching the word, practicing the word, dealing with your sin. And when the Father prunes you, give yourself to him and says, Father, what's ever in my life that needs to be cut out of it, please do it. Because I know when that happens, uh, that's when real joy comes. That's when real happiness comes. That's when I begin to discover the secret of the Christian life. That my responsibility is to remain, 
to abide in Christ. It is Christ who produces fruit in me. I don't have to worry about the fruit. My concern is my concern is the abiding. So are you doing that today? Or are you a barren branch? Nothing to show for it. Been a Christian for years. Nothing to show for it. Your relationships with other people have not improved because of your bad attitude. Because of your willingness to dig in and not be an example in a light for Christ in your home, to your husband, to your wife, to your co-workers, to your neighbors. See, that's where it all comes out. It comes out in your behavior because the Spirit of God is working on the inside to make you like Christ. So that's our job. And that is part of the secret of living the Christian life. There is a third secret which I have no time to get to today. And I'll pick that up next time. And that is the secret of a productive Christian, thirdly, is liberty in prayer. Card blanche in prayer. All right, that's next week. Just thinking about that for a moment, um, there was a doctor visiting in a home of uh, one of his patients, and it was the custom of the family that when someone came and visited their home, that one of the members of the family would quote a Bible verse. And so the doctor walks in, and so it was the little girl's turn to quote the Bible verse. And the little girl quoted John 3.16. And this is how she quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have internal life. Needless to say, he did not correct her. For it is internal life as well as everlasting life that God gives us. Both are a reality. And both are something we need to look at in our lives and to to ask ourselves honestly, is that there? And if it is, praise God, keep going. If it's not, today may be the day of salvation that you come and believe in Christ. And if you need to do that, if you're not sure that if you die today, where you end up, talk with me, talk to Dave, talk to someone in our church that can share the gospel with you. Don't put it off even one second because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You all know that. So I pray for you that you would be a person who, from God's perspective, has fruit, and then ultimately you will have more fruit, and then in the end you'll have much fruit. That's where you want, that's how you want to live your Christian life. And how do you do that? By abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God, that in it, Lord, is contained the things that really bring conviction of sin, that expose us as to who we are. And Lord, that helps us to evaluate ourselves in a way that we know pleases you. This is what you require in our life. And Lord, I thank you that you pull your disciples aside on many, many times secretly and you share with them things that no one else knows. 
only your true disciples know. And I thank the Lord this is one of those cases. And I, and I pray, Lord, that all of us here today, that we would take to heart uh, these truths in Scripture. We would see the reality of it. And, Lord, I pray that we would give ourselves every day to the responsibility of walking with you, of growing in your word, of giving ourselves over to the Holy Spirit so he can transform us, of giving ourselves to the Father so he can prune us. And, Lord, get out of our life the things that are preventing us from producing the fruit that Christ wants to produce in us. And I pray, Lord, as we do that, we would grow to learn and know that Christ has chosen us for himself, that he loves us, and because he loves us and he loves the Father, that we are in uh, a relationship as born-again believers that no one else is in because of what Christ has done. And I pray, Lord, as we live our life every day, that our behavior from the inside out would be transformed and we would even see it ourselves. We would see our desires change. We would see our motives change. We would see our words change. We would see everything change because we know Christ is working in us. And Lord, don't ever, ever allow us to give up the faith. Don't ever allow us to lay it aside. Lord, keep us persevering to the end. Thank you that you do. Thank you that you have a hold on us and that you're not going to let us go. And, Lord, uh, we give ourselves today to you, Lord, to do your work in us. And I pray this this morning in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.